It's the Auburn Observer Podcast Game Recap Edition. Let's go. We've got an actual football game to review and discuss. It was a pretty good one for the Auburn Football Tigers. Justin Ferguson here in Auburn, Alabama. Also joining me, uh, currently located in Auburn, Alabama, hailing from Bad Street, USA, uh, the man with the golden voice, Mr. Dan Peck. How we doing, Dan? I, I am. I'm so excited to be here, Justin. First, uh, f- first, first in game in season podcast since uh, yeah. since I joined the team. So this is the the off season is unquestionably over, right? And we are we're, we're diving in. And also on the ones and twos from an undisclosed location uh, somewhere where the government can't find him. It's Mr. Painter Sharpless. Hello, Painter. The next time I see you, Ferg, I'm going to do you the way Mac Brown did Shane Beamer. <laughs> Just grab it by the throat. What is with hey, Mac hey. Brown feeling like Dude, he, he needs that. to grab people? <laughs> he's like, listen, listen, listen. I beat you and I need you to like, feel it. <laughs> I understand he's from a different era, but I don't think you were allowed to do that in the past either. It's incredible. It's incredible. Oh, by the way, we've received some. We've received some messages. Uh, I didn't tell Painter I was going to do this on the air, but I, I am now. We've received some messages uh, the last few months about the podcast where they were like, "We want to hear Painter talk more." And folks, you're going to get that opportunity uh, because uh, I have commanded Painter to talk more. Otherwise, uh, uh, otherwise we're putting him back in the cage, uh, for, for a foreseeable future. So, um, get ready for a lot of painter in this episode. I, I know that's what people are waiting for it. Justin and I can be high volume shooters at times. Oh gosh. Yes, when, absolutely. When, on a podcast. So dude, yeah. I, dude, there are times where I, uh, there were times damn before we got rolling. Like when you joined, like where I was like, Nick Young, like at the top of the key with this podcast, it was just like, "Hey, we're getting, we're getting these shots up, buddy." Swaggy yeah. P over here, G- two two Jimmers on this <laughs> on on this podcast. So we'll get we'll get Painter involved more uh, with, with with the yeah, ball. We're passing we're passing the ball more to Painter. All right, uh, folks, Auburn wins the season opener. Not a surprise that they won the season opener, but after a week where we talked about, hey, this could get a little tricky. That's a big spread to cover. Auburn does it with ease, 59-14. Um, really, I mean, just pretty thorough win after the first couple of drives. Really, the first quarter was the only one where things were kind of even or close to even between Auburn and UMass. And then the rest of the way, Auburn looked like an SEC team. UMass looked like a team that, uh, as we expected this season, uh, one of the more overmatched teams in FBS, even though they, they got some dudes and they've got, uh, they got, some, they got some fun stuff. Uh, especially on the offensive side of the ball that they can go to um, since we're passing the ball to Painter uh, to start Painter. Uh, what was What's kind of your initial reaction to this game? See if we can get the ball rolling here. Uh, Auburn not only winning the game, but, you know, covering the spread, putting nearly 60 on the board. Uh, and, you know, was it – was it the prettiest thing? Didn't have a ton of style points. I initially I wrote at one point, and I think I took it out at the last minute uh, with my observations. But like they scored more actual points and style points in this game, which I think is not bad for a for a team that's uh, week one, new era, a whole lot of new pieces. I think it was a continuation of what has been an excellent off season for the staff for Hugh Freeze. He hit just about every note 
leading up to the game possible to get people excited. They absolutely hammered, as you mentioned, in the second, third, and fourth quarters. A UMass team that had shown some improvement, albeit in a small sample size. And then afterward, he hit the right notes again. He goes to Toomer's. What can you take away from a team that's this overmatched? Even though they were, it was sloppy at times, which we expected, yeah, the team just showed some life and some energy, and, and the fan base was clearly excited both inside and outside of the stadium. It was about as successful as a paycheck game could be. Dan, same question to you. Uh, you were in the press box with me on on Saturday, and it was, it was. I, I thought like the the vibe in the press box was like, oh wow, they're just they're just going about their business. Like you know, I think people were kind of kind of shocked that it wasn't uh, closer than it was, or you know, there wasn't there wasn't a ton of fireworks with it either. The the thing I was most surprised by um, was was the pace that Auburn could play at in that in that first half. I tweeted about flying. I tweeted about it at the end of the first quarter, and for Auburn to run twenty four plays from scrimmage in the first quarter, despite UMass having the ball for over five minutes, including a four four plus minute touchdown drive. I mean, Auburn was. I mean, it really was a breakneck pace in that in that first quarter and and throughout the first half, and that's mm-hmm. something. I mean, it, it's it's what you're looking to do, but but for Auburn to be able to operate at that speed and get as many skill position guys involved as they were able to uh, to, to get involved, like that that's got to be what Hugh Freeze was shooting for, and uh, he he was able to pull it off. Freeze said after the game, quote, we're prepared to be one of the fastest teams in the country. We were snapping the ball some in the first half with a right around 30 seconds left on the clock, which is pretty good. Put it in the nerd stats and the observations on on Sunday morning, which you can check out if you're a subscriber to the Auburn Observer. It's $6 a month or $60 a year. Uh, Auburn ran a play every 17.47 seconds in this game, which uh, that's – that's like early Gus pace. That's not like late Gus pace. That is early Gus pace for Auburn. And I think it hurt the defense some at times because the defense is still trying to adjust, and they were missing some pieces on that side of the ball. You know, this was a this was a game, I think, for, for Auburn where they wanted to kind of show what they could be capable of this year kind of stylistically, but also not just unload the clip on it. Um the big one, I think, showing what they had, obviously, uh, a hat trick in the second quarter for, for Robbie Astrid. This was the thing that Auburn showed more than anything else on offense. We'll talk about Peyton Thorne in the passing game. I think some of it was vanilla. I think some of it was some, some missed execution. And, you know, you got to, it's a different type of offense you're going to have to diagnose and, and, and analyze when it comes to Auburn because, you know, there's some throws that he made that could have been runs and vice versa, uh, just in the nature of the RPO game. But uh, Robbie Astrid, three rushing touchdowns. I, Dan, I go back to a, a, a practice that we got to see. I think this might have been actually the one that Bill was at, um, where we're seeing a lot of red zone work and goal line work. And when Robbie Astrid was at quarterback, Auburn's offense was putting the ball in the end zone a little bit more frequently than with Peyton Thorne. It wasn't bad for Peyton, but it was just there was some extra juice, which is the word of the year, uh, with with uh, with Robbie Ashford in. And so close quarter situations, forcing the team to play 11-on-11 11 11 football. And uh, he did he did really, really well there. And I thought 
it was pretty telling to see Auburn go to him that much, especially with the fact he was dealing with an oblique issue for most of the week, to go to him that much in week one and, and just not be afraid to set the tone and say, hey, no, we're going to play this dude. Like, he free said it. I don't know how much more I can tell you all this. He's going to be key to us. And, I mean, that's that's not to suggest there's a controversy or the competition is really not still at all. intensely I think some going. people are trying to manufacture that, and, and no, that's, no, that's not the case. No, and there was there was excitement when Robbie went into the game, but I didn't perceive it as anti-Peyton Thorne mm-hmm. excitement, and I would hope that's not uh, what, what, it, uh, what it turns into if, if, Robbie's continue, you know, if they continue to use Robbie this way, because I thought Peyton Thorne uh, played well and... There, there are things Peyton Thorne is asked to do in this offense that maybe won't show up in his box score. Running, running plays with thirty seconds left on the clock is part of that. You know, yeah. you, you, I, I thought that they were even, even though they were willing to go to Robbie as much as they were. Um, Peyton Thorne was was somebody who, I mean, they, they they entrusted a lot of this offense to Peyton in his first game. Robbie, I was more apprehensive because of the the news on Monday that he was right. battling an oblique injury. I thought they may right. uh, they, they may try to take it easy. They did not. Uh, the, the burst was evident. It's a uh, it's it's a really exciting dimension that you can add to this offense by putting Robbie on the field. Will it work against the best teams if 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 Robbie is you know if, if it signals that Auburn is running the ball? I, I I don't know, but there's time for that to change. Yeah, before Auburn plays. A&M or Georgia or any of those teams in that uh, stretch there was a game we I think we made references to the 2009 opener was Mm -hmm. that was that the game where Robbie ran for I'm sorry was that the game where Cody Burns ran for multiple touchdowns as uh, as as Chris's uh, backup because I I believe there was a game where where Cody Burns had Multiple he had three rushing. touchdowns against Mississippi State in week two. Okay, so so early in the season they went mm-hmm. to they they went to Cody as sort of a as a uh, as as a as a quarterback that you know could change change the the the, the look of the offense and provide something mm-hmm. else for the defense to worry about an added layer of uh you know for for, for the offense. So yeah, I, I thought it was it was really exciting to see Robbie and and you know it, it makes you feel good to think. All right, this is a guy who dealt with the disappointment of not winning the job and is still out there working as hard as he can and helping the team win and his teammates and the fans of the program clearly appreciate it. Yeah, he talked to us for a good bit after the game on on Saturday and he talked a lot about how it was hard to take that news early. Um, you know, he struggled with some of it. Um, but, you know, he decided that he needed to continue to kind of keep the faith and and uh, and work hard for his team, and he knew that Auburn was going to find a role for him and, and use him. Um, so, you know, he talked about his relationship with Peyton Thorne. You know, he said he looks at Peyton like a brother. Um, no hostility, uh, no hate, and anything like that. He did make reference that the locker room was not where it needed to be last year, um, and so that was an interesting comment. Uh, there from from Robbie Ashford, but no, he he played really well. Um, gives you a different dimension. Yes, it's against UMass, but again, when you get in those short yarded situations and you get closer to the goal line, when it gets tougher to throw the ball, having a guy that can make you play true eleven on eleven could be a real weapon for you. I did think Peyton Thorne, though, staying with the quarterbacks. I did think Peyton Thorne 
had some plays, had some runs that were nice. Um, he had that scramble uh, where he threw the ball, that scramble drill to, to Shane Hooks. That was one of the more impressive plays of the game. He's not a statue back there. He can run a little bit. Um, I wrote it earlier this offseason. I think he was underrated as a, as a runner, uh, and I still stand by that, um, no matter what some other people uh, tried to shout me down from it from, from the national uh, and regional media. But, uh, no, I, I think that I think that he's got a, he's got some wheels that he can use in this RPO system. Um, and it's just it's early. There's you know he said it after the game. Thorn did. It's like it's so new. Everything's so new, and I'm sure we'll talk about all, like, um, all of it. But real quick, Auburn had 68 players get offensive or defensive snaps on Saturday. Nine of them were receivers. Seven tight ends had some walk-ons get in there. Three different quarterbacks. Thirteen offensive linemen played. A lot of combinations. I'll definitely be diving into that with film room on Monday. Um, but it's so new for everybody that they're like, they're going to be issues. They're going to be execution problems. Um, there were some miscommunications. You could see some frustration at, at, at times. And then there were some decisions where uh, there was a stretch near the red zone where uh, Thorn made uh, the bad, bad decision. I think friend of the program Nathan King pointing out Sunday morning probably like he could have handed the ball off there in the RPO he didn't um decided to throw it and it was an incompletion and Freeze lost his headset going after him uh trying to trying to you know get get it corrected like very fiery there it's new it's early they you know Freeze said they didn't show a lot they didn't ask him to do too much uh, today and I think the numbers reflect that 10 of 17 141 and a touchdown but the good moments for for Peyton Thorne, the good moments for this passing offense, hitting some downfield throws, making some of those kind of plays shows that, okay, there's potential here. It's got to grow, and that's going to take time. But, again, this is a group where new quarterback, a really new-look set of receivers playing in a brand-new system. Um, I've, I mean, I said it all offseason. It's going to be a work in progress. And, and a decision is made on every play with this quarterback, right? So much of it is out of the RPO that he can, he can hand it off on a play where maybe he should have kept it himself – he can decide to throw it on a play where maybe he could have handed it to the running back. So the decision, uh, the decision making isn't just in, uh, in 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 how accurate is he with the ball. Like th- there's there's other aspects to it that that's uh, that's asked for, and that's a reason to think as he gets used to these responsibilities, you know, everything will become more smooth as the as the season goes on. I thought the pass to Jay Fair, the uh, the, the, the the touchdown over the middle, like that was. Even though Jay Fair had gotten himself open, that's not a pass where you have a ton of uh, of, of room for error. Because you can't put too much air on it. Yeah, you put too much air on it, and, and either it, it goes over his head, or you give uh, you, you give a defensive back for UMass a chance to make the play on it. And and yet uh, that ball was exactly where it needed to be for uh, Jay Fair's uh, first career touchdown. And that's another guy. We move into the passing offense a little bit. That that's a guy who really made a case for himself after a lot of positive buzz this offseason really good game for uh for for jay fair that was your pick i believe your pick to click uh jay fair uh made a great catch targeted a ton six targets four catches for him um javarius johnson by the way just going to point this out point it out on twitter not all of you are on twitter if you're looking at box scores or anything official they credited coy moore with a 33 yard catch that actually went to javarius johnson as of sunday morning i don't think that had been corrected yet so just keep that in mind um, you know, a good shot downfield to to, to Javarius there. Did Coit did Coit play? 
That's a I, great question. I don't know if I I don't know if I saw uh, zero out there. I wasn't expecting because it was one of the guys that Hugh Freeze had mentioned earlier in the season uh, was uh, was was battling with injury. I know Malcolm got on the field. Malcolm caught that ball. Caught two from, of them. Yeah, caught caught the uh, the really nice pass from from Holden uh, early early in Holden's appearance in the fourth quarter. But yeah, I, I wasn't sure Coy Moore had played. Uh, it doesn't look like Coy Moore was on the participation chart. Yeah, so, I, didn't, I didn't think Coy yeah. Moore played, which, which made it tough for him to catch that ball. Would have been kind of <laughs> tough. Uh, absences on on Saturday obviously you know Jarquez Hunter um, that was a topic of conversation pregame and and it continued through the game did not dress out did not play Uh, freeze was not asked directly about that after the game but it was kind of I got the sense afterwards after the press conference that it was going to be if he was asked about it it it's going to be the same same comment from Auburn personnel decisions all that are going to be handled internally they're not going to discuss them publicly so there you go there some others that were out uh, Caleb Wooden didn't play. Uh, we also know he, you know, he missed time early in camp, like like Hunter did. Uh, and then some guys with some injury concerns who didn't play. Um, more we just mentioned. Jalen McLeod is uh, didn't play. Uh, Nehemiah Pritchett, um, Nick Mardner, so and, and some others. Um, JD Rim didn't play either. Uh, so keep that in mind. Auburn got a lot of dudes out there, but also you know had a handful of guys they're going to expect to rely on this year that did get on the field. And I think that's the other thing, you know, that's really good to see is that we knew this team was going to be a team that like rotated a ton at wide receiver and at running back and at tight end and, you know, all across the defense. And they did that offensive line painter. We have talked, it seems like every single podcast we've ever done about Auburn football, we've talked about the offensive line. And I think, you know, it stands, you know, we need to talk about them here. As I said, 13 offensive linemen played on Saturday. They were moving. It seemed like it was a different unit every drive. Uh, Gunnar Britton played three spots. I know several guys played two two spots uh, on Saturday. Um, it's UMass. This was a UMass team that gave up a lot of yards on the ground last season, gave up a lot of yards on the ground to, to New Mexico State last week. Yes, it's UMass. Yes, it's UMass. Yes, it's UMass. I'm going to say that 100 times, but – I don't know if there were going to be many times, no matter the opponent in the last few years, where Auburn could mix and match and rotate so much on the offensive line and not see much of a drop-off and have a pretty good game. Um, only f- It was four tackles for loss for UMass. I think a couple of them happened late in the game. No sacks. Uh, and then you you know nearly ran for 300 yards in, in this one. Those kneel downs kind of took some of that out late. But I thought Auburn's offensive line, for all the moving pieces, was, that, that was – that was what uh, was as advertised, is that, yes, this group has gotten better, and I think they showcased some of that on, on Saturday. It is fair to say I don't care that much. You know, you expect them to play like that against an overmatched and less athletic defensive line. However, I don't think you could just always take it for granted over the last five or so years that Auburn was going to have a kind of an easy performance, if you will, at that position. It was impressive. It was impressive. Your Dan, what did you think about the offensive line? Um, you know, I, I was I was curious to see who the first five out there were going to be. We'd wondered about Too Tall Miller, who did get the start, right? Do I have that? Mm-hmm. I have the yeah. Yes. I mean, Too, too yes. Tall uh, earns the start at right tackle. Gunnar Britton starts at left guard. Uh, Cam Stutz, the the starting right guard, but both Tate Johnson and Jeremiah Wright were in. I think in the first quarter, playing uh, snaps on the offensive line. So I mean, Auburn. I don't know if the competition um, it continues as far as who, who's going to be the first uh, the, the, the starter, but 
I thought Tutal responded well. I'm not qualified to break down like in detail how an offensive line played. Um, sure. And I haven't it, I haven't rewatched it, the, I'm not either, but I it, still I haven't rewatched the game yet. It did seem like uh, you know, Peyton Thorne was was having to make plays in the backfield a few mm-hmm. times in the in the first half. You know, again, I don't know who, who gets the blame for that on, on Auburn's side. Uh, but that might be something to clean up, uh, you know, if, if where, where where Auburn is as a as a pass protection team right now. There was one play in particular that that Thorne had where he dodged a couple of uh, rushers. Yeah, it looked like he was hooks, dead to rights, but... and then he made a nice throw. I think it was like a first and twenty because they'd gotten hit with a, a penalty, and he made a nice completion for twenty one yards. So I mean, there were little things like that sprinkled throughout. But yeah, Dan, good point that it, you know it certainly wasn't perfect and. And it's not like the yeah, the pass rushes are going to get more challenging as we move on here. Take this with a grain of salt, but I'm looking at um, PFF's uh, pass blocking stats. According to them, Auburn allowed six pressures on Saturday. Um, none of them were from top offensive linemen. One of them was a reserve, and then the rest were guys who were supposed to be in – or two were reserves, and the rest were guys who were – you know, in protection, running backs, tight ends, stuff like that. Yeah, I, I don't know how many of the of of the instance of the hurries in the first half. I don't know how many of them were instances where an offensive lineman was beaten by mm-hmm. a guy, and how much of it might have been numbers related or uh, you know, you know bl- blitz packages, things like that. But yeah, just I mean, if if there was if there was something concerning or in the neighborhood of concerning from the offense to me, it would be. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, there were. I guess there were times when the run game was, uh, you know, was a struggle, and there were times when uh, Peyton Thorne was under a little bit of fire. Yeah, the running game. Um, there were only, I believe, sixteen percent of their runs went for no or negative yards. Um, that's a lower kind of boom bust rate that they had last season. But yeah, you know. You're gonna wanna you wanna continue to kind of move that up. The running game, I mean, to not have Jarquez Hunter and have all these guys get involved and make plays, I thought was pretty impressive. Um, we talked about Robbie already. Demari Austin, five carries for 25 yards uh, and a touchdown in the first drive of the game. He had three more carries uh, for 18 more yards the rest of the way, and then they started rotating. Brian Batie. Didn't break a big run. Had a had a couple of big punt returns. Really nice. I mean, when you start the year being like, I'm going to take this this kick kick return from the back of the end zone, and I'm still make a good play with it. It tells you what kind of talent he is in that department. Uh, but he had some good runs there. Uh, Jeremiah Cobb's second carry of his college career goes for a 42 yard touchdown. And then Sean Jackson, man, Sean Jackson got on scholarship last year. Did not get a carry in 2022. Get some carries on, on Saturday against UMass. Bust off a 45-yard touchdown run. That's real depth when you don't have uh, – I wrote about it on, on, on Sunday. When you don't have hardly any returning production at running back with Hunter out for this game and Tank Bigsby down in the NFL, and you can run, that many dudes can get involved. Yes, it's UMass, but it shows you that, like, yeah, they they feel confident about being able to lean on this running game. We've seen so many new faces join this team – that it's it's interesting to me that in the in the first quarter, two of the most important players on the offense were guys who were on last year's team and didn't see the field. Mm-hmm. Jay Fair Jay Fair and Damari Alston were both on last year's team as true freshmen and, and hardly played. And here they are 
for a new coaching staff uh, taking a, a lead role in the opener and looking like two guys that could be fixtures in the lineup all season long. Yeah, to your point, Dan, I'm looking at Auburn's offense. 492 yards of offense in this game. Three passing yards from Robbie Ashford. 51 rushing yards from Robbie Ashford. The three touchdowns obviously were big. Uh, Javarius Johnson with four catches for 44 yards. Outside of that, everything else on Auburn's offense was pretty much either brand new to the team or was not a key part of last year's team. And so, again, that's where we say it's going to be a work in progress. There's so many new pay, uh, pieces. It's a new scheme. You're having to figure a lot of it out. But you were able to be pretty productive in a game where, you know, you had so much new. And I think there's you're going to have to be patient. Like, Auburn fans, you're going to have to be patient with this offense, especially through the air. It's not going to look like, you know, the, the most impressive thing you've ever seen in game one. Um, and probably early in the season as well. I want to uh, I want to point out two things. Here's some here's two really good comparisons to come up with. One was from our friend Josh Dub on Twitter. He pointed out uh, on um, Saturday that uh, the debut for Jarrett Stidham at Auburn uh, when they absolutely smashed Georgia Southern forty-one to seven in that game. His line was fourteen to twenty-four. For 185 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. I will say the one, uh, you know, a few more pass attempts in that game, another touchdown. No interceptions. We had talked about Thorne taking care of the ball, winning the turnover battle. That ended up being really big in this one because of the hidden yardage. We all know what Jarrett Stidham ended up doing in 2017 and what Auburn ended up doing around him. So, you know, different situations, but keep that in mind. Remember also Stidham had a really rough second game when they went to uh, Clemson. Here's another example that I thought of because it's an example I've gone back to a few times this year. 2021 Tennessee, the first year of what they were doing, throwing the ball with their new scheme. Hendon Hooker uh, you know, being, ended up being the guy, um, but Josh Heupel in that offense. They played Bowling Green on a Thursday night to open the 21 season. That game, Tennessee, 144 passing yards, 50% completion percentage, just one touchdown. By the end of the year, you know, they're, they're dropping 300-yard games left and right, and we all know what they did last year. This is about setting the tone. This is about building a bridge. Be patient with this crew. Don't jump to conclusions. Don't rush too much. You may see Thorne and not see a lot of highlights from that first game and, and, and be tempted, like we talked about, Dan, like to create a controversy, especially with Robbie Ashford running the ball really well. Robbie didn't have a ton of opportunities to throw the ball, had a, had a play call back for holding a one at one point that could have been a little bit bigger. Don't, don't rush too much into that. Uh, just know that some of these things take time. And, uh, you know, if you continue to develop and grow and let college players get better, which is <laughs> the whole yeah. – part of this sport um we have some recent examples both at auburn and across the sec where where you're trying to do similar things and and you know it's worked out well in the end yeah being happy for robbie uh because you know he he still has a key role on this team even if he's not the starting quarterback and and it's something that provides a level of excitement Uh, that that's i think an, an appropriate reaction wanting more robbie and less peyton after what you saw on Saturday, might be a bit of an overreaction. Uh, although, I mean, look, it's it's undeniable uh, the spark 
uh, that that a uh, that, that Robbie Ashford can bring. Uh, but I think there's a lot of stuff Peyton Thorne is asked to do in this offense uh, that, uh, uh, that 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 plays a pretty big role in why he won this job. And uh, I'm I'm not I would I would be careful about criticizing or or wanting to see less of him uh, based on uh, ju- just uh, ju- just one game, especially a game where you know, I, I I didn't think he played all that poorly. No, no, uh, solid is what uh, Freeze kept saying after the game. Solid had three mistakes that he remembered off the top of his head. Uh, that they wanted to go back to uh, there. I uh, will say also, passing game just looked better in the second half overall. Uh, you know, things kind of moved better, flowed better out there. Holden Garner uh, coming in as QB three and making some good throws downfield. I thought was a, was a really good sign. Um, Justin, uh, what's the true freshman count on offense in uh, in the game on? That's a great question on Saturday. Because I'm thinking Jeremiah Cobb, Connor Lou. Mm-hmm. Um, is could that could that be the only two true freshmen who got who got Dylan in the game Senda. on offense? Dylan okay, Senda got yeah. in there. Senda got in late. Or, uh, and that looks like that's it there in terms of true freshmen. You had some, I mean, like Caleb Burton's technically a true freshman, kind of like you know he hadn't played college football. Uh, Tyler Johnson got in the game as well. Okay, um, so handful. oh yeah, guys, guys who didn't ago. see the field a ton in their first year of college football, right? I mean. Jay and Damari and but K- and like Caleb, K- Burton, Caleb Burton. Burton. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. So yeah, a handful, handful of those guys. I was uh, really impressed with that run by Jeremiah Cobb, too. For for people who he maybe did a lot in high school. Oh yeah, man, for, for people who didn't see him, uh, you know, a ton in high school. Uh, Jeremiah Cobb stepping in and looking like he belongs in his first game as a college football player. Free said after the game that uh, he told Cobb earlier in the week that he was going to score his first touchdown, uh, and he called him a special, special talent. It's going to have a great career at Auburn. I 100% agree. I also think, obviously, Damari Austin and, and, and those other guys had uh, in the running running game had had great games, you know, and, and good performances. But uh, Cobb's just – go back and watch some of those highlights of Catholic. Cobb's just a different type of dude when it comes to being a big play uh, back and really, really impressive there. All right, let's take care of some business. Let's get some fun stuff here before we move on to defense. And we've got some special teams to talk to. A couple of impact plays on special teams you got to mention. Um, first, hello. Uh, I hope you're enjoying this podcast. Uh, we do these uh, game recap podcasts for free every Sunday during football season. Sunday uh, morning, Sunday afternoon is usually when we roll these out. We're recording this on Sunday morning. Um if you want to get all of our podcasts, that's all of our bonus podcasts, whether it's friends of the program, if you want to get our uh, eating at Auburn uh, uh, bonus podcast that a lot of y'all really enjoyed last week, and you want our game preview podcast, uh, which we uh, roll out on Thursdays ahead of the next game, you can only get that by subscribing to the Auburn Observer. You also get all of the newsletters uh, that are right. You get observations, uh, film room on Monday, mailbag on Friday, uh, doing the 13 for 13 series. On uh, on Auburn's 2013 season, a lot of lot of a uh, lot of stuff that I've, I'm really excited about rolling out here this football season. Basketball content will keep coming as well as we get closer and closer to practices and the start of that season. Um, you can only get that at AuburnObserver.com. Six dollars a month or sixty dollars a year for a full subscription, and uh, we email everything out to you. So as soon as the podcast drops, a newsletter drops, what have you, you will be the first one to know because it will come straight in your email inbox so you can read and listen on your own time there's also another way that you can help us out for no money down and sometimes you can actually get something out of it 
uh, which is what we're going to take care of right now. Painter, tell the folks at home how they can help us. Rate, review, subscribe. Leave us five stars. Leave us a line or two. Uh, we do appreciate it. Mash that subscribe button for us. We appreciate your support. Yeah, so on Apple Podcasts the last month, we've been doing this thing where we've been asking people for more uh, reviews because, uh, again, it helps the algorithm, gets gets the product in more people's uh, faces, and it just it just helps us all, all together. So what we did is then during the month of August, you could – it was like the end of July, month of August, you could leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and you would have a shot to win a $25 gift card – from our friends at Home Field Apparel. We each picked a winner, the three of us, um, and we're going to read them out now. If we say your review and you can prove that it is you, I mean, honor system here, but you know, <laughs> I, haven't, I, haven't been, I haven't been scammed yet by this, even though we've done stuff like this a few times in the past. Um, email me uh, or you know, tweet at me, do something. We'll get you set up. Make sure that Home Field Apparel gift card um, gets to you, and we will talk about home field in just a moment. So each of us picked a review. These are our winner reviews for um, the month of August. We may do this again um, you know, later on in the year, basketball season as well, but it really helps. We had a lot of great ones, a lot of funny ones. Uh, I'll say this, neither, none of us picked them. Two of y'all wrote haikus, which was really impressive. Um Neither of y'all got made the final cut. I'm I'm sorry, but that was really impressive. All of them are really nice. Some of them are really really funny. We appreciate all of you, but we were going to pick just three from this list, and these are our three favorites. Dan, I want you to bat lead off uh, here and read uh, the review that you have selected uh, well, for your winner. I'm I'm worried because I don't want people to think that I didn't do my homework and I just picked the most recent review and uh, and and chose that one as as the winner. I did read all of them, uh, a lot of honorable mentions, great work, everybody. Uh, you know there all, there can only be a, a couple of winners. I thought that a uh, Greg L48 uh, with a review in the style of Leonard's losers. Do we? Do we need to give a little background, Justin, on what Leonard's Losers is for people? Because I think I, I would... think you can get, give us a give us a quick rundown. Right. Okay. So Leonard's Losers was a, a syndicated radio show that ran for years in the South, uh, where uh, Leonard and Percy, a couple of the the the, the ver very Southern uh, sounding gentlemen, uh, would would analyze college football and and give gambling picks, and it was. Uh, yeah, Leonard. Leonard, and rather than rather than giving you the winner, Leonard would give you the loser, and so he would tell you the losers of these games. And uh, uh, Greg, uh, write, writing a review that that uh, and I'm not. Bill Cameron does a better impression of the voice than uh, than, than I ever could, so I'm not going to try it. But uh, Greg writing, and I quote: "Now to this season's premier matchup, the Auburn Observer versus all other podcasts." Justin Ferguson and the boys are heading into year four in the podcast arena, and they're looking poised to have a stellar year. They're heading into week one of the 2023 football season with a power-packed lineup. As always, Painter Sharpless is on the ones and twos, and during the show, he's busier than a five-star recruit trying to get out of College Station. Dan Peck and his <laughs> golden voice lends a powerful punch to this already potent lineup, and the Peck Pack outnumbers a third-quarter student section at Bryant-Denny. At the end of the day, 
You can't ask for more Auburn content from a podcast, and these boys ain't just talking football either. The Observer covers Bruce Pearl and his dribbling felines just as hard as Lane Kiffin hits the transfer portal in the offseason. Latham's loser, you, if you don't subscribe to the Auburn Observer, unquote. Great job, Greg. That's great. That's great. So many, so many good lines in that one. So, Greg, fire off an email. Uh, you can re- reply to any of the emails we send you, and it will get to me. Or you can uh, you can find my email address on on Twitter if you have that as well. Painter, your pick. I don't know if this was done strategically, but seven thundercloud. Good work. You know the way to my heart. Leaving this five star review as a vote for enemies of the pod. Would love to hear Dan more. Hopefully this counts. Great pod, guys. Keep up the good work. Oh, my goodness. The propaganda continues. <laughs> Dan. I'm, <laughs> off, I'm off enemies of the pocket. It's all about 99 for 99 now, right? We're moving, we're moving to, the, to the 99 part. If you missed that one, Dan wants to review 99 movies from the year 1999 on our podcast. I with, don't know. With, a, with a celebrity guest every, every episode. So you actually could pull deal. off some celebrity guests. I, yeah, I, 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 I don't. All my celebrities are, you know college football people um and college basketball people so you know they're they're dorks like us all right my pick is uh from clay cutler uh this one just hit all of the all of the high notes uh you know getting getting to to my heart you know you know how to appeal uh this review from clay says the arbiter observer improved my life for years i was just going through the motions i was stuck in a dead-end job my hair was falling out my love life was non-existent, and I was constantly fighting just to get noticed. Then I found the Auburn Observer. From that day forward, everything changed. My hair grew back thicker. I got a brand new job, one where I was show- respected and shown appreciation, and my love life has improved tenfold. I am now acknowledged as a productive member of society, and I was told I might even get a shot at the AEW All-Atlantic Championship against Orange Cassidy, even though I have no professional wrestling experience in my life, all because of Ferg and the Observer. Thanks, guys. I wouldn't be where I am without you shout out to clay shout out to all the great reviews this was a lot of fun if you didn't win let me tell you we appreciated and enjoyed each and every one of them i'll say it again the haikus were pretty impressive um but those are our winners email me 25 dollars gift card to home field apparel can be yours and uh while you're there if you've won the gift card if you haven't won the gift card um either way Go to homefieldapparel.com, the number one place for collegiate apparel. We're talking the softest and most comfortable T-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, quarter zips, joggers, hats that money can buy. Um, They're everywhere at homefieldapparel.com. There's some really, really cool stuff. It's not cool yet. It's not cold yet, I should say, but it's you want to already prep for hoodie season. They've got some awesome Auburn hoodies uh, and, and quarter zips. Uh, saw some home field out and about on on Saturday, uh, which is always good to see. You can also get the official Auburn Observer T-shirt at Home Field Apparel. Just search Auburn Observer uh, when you're at Home Field, and you can get that. They also dropped a really good. This is Home Field's fifth birthday. Uh, was recently also dropped a really cool Home Field line, Home Field specific line. A lot of great stuff there. Uh, you can check that out if you want 15% off your very first first order at Home Field Apparel. Type in the promo code Observer23 when you're checking out. You can tell them that the that the boys sent you, and uh, you get 15% off Homefield Apparel. They've got a lot of stuff rolling right now. Great Auburn stuff. 
You get the Auburn Observer t-shirt. You get the home field branded stuff. Any other cool teams. I'm currently wearing a Wyoming golf shirt because uh, I'm sure we'll talk about it at the very end of the podcast from all the week one. Uh, Powder River, baby. The boys from Laramie uh, pulling off that fun double overtime win over Texas Tech on Saturday night. Um, yeah, home field apparel. Get it. You, you, you need some home field in your life. And congrats again to those three winners. Uh, just uh, get up with me sometime soon. All right. Back to the matter at hand. Defensively, um, boys, uh, I don't think the first drive for Auburn on defense could have gone any worse in terms of how people were feeling about them. Um, eight plays, 89 yards, and a touchdown for UMass. I believe 75 of those yards were rushing yards. Um, they just went right at Auburn and went to their weak spot and and, and took care of it. Um but then, after that, uh, the the remaining drives, uh, punt, fumble, uh, missed field goal, interception, punt, punt, turnover on downs, turnover on downs. Uh, they had that quick TD when the reserves were in and then another three and out. Defense responded. Um, there are still issues that remain with the running game, even after that, that start, but um, – Something needs to be said for this Auburn defense being able to rally and and kind of put you know put some good film out there and some good performances together after such a slow start. That's the positive. The negative, still still giving up a little too much on the ground, um, and especially in the explosive play department. Auburn did what they could to address a run defense that was a problem last season. I mean, you you lost Derek and Colby and Owen to the NFL, three guys that were on the field a lot for that run defense. So it wasn't just about trying to improve. It was also trying to absorb some key losses while also improving. So that's something that could be a battle all season long for this coaching staff and this team uh, trying to uh, uh, to figure out who, who can uh, who can be trusted in, in run situations. Um, you know, I, I think they've got some younger guys that are coming along in the front seven that that they'll they'll hope can can play a bigger role. Uh, Keldrick Falk didn't uh, it was was on the field some in the uh, in the first half. You know, I, I think there there might have been a, a belief that that he would have a a larger role immediately, but they were rotating in that in that front seven. So I think uh, I, yeah, how Auburn how Auburn weathers you know that sort of you know the, that 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 challenge, you know, how, how they can respond to, to putting a quality run defense on the field that could play a big role in how they look in some of the toughest games they play. I'll tell you this, Keldrick Fault, by the way, uh, one and a half tackles for loss, three total tackles, half a sack. Uh, according to PFF, he only played 13 snaps. <laughs> like, yeah. That's that's some real deal production from the true freshman. And uh, and I I don't know how many of those snaps were in the first half. Like I I was that was a guy who maybe a little really, bit, I, but more in the second half for sure. Be, because of how often he was running with the first team in fall practice when we were out there, like I kind of thought maybe we'd see Keldrick earlier and more. They have a lot of other options on the D line that they they wanted to get work to, and and Keldrick had. He'd been mentioned earlier in the offseason as a guy battling uh, some some physical stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so maybe they wanted to take it easy with him in the UMass game and, and give him his first taste of action. Yeah, like you said, really productive for a guy who just played 13 snaps. The rotation was the real big thing for me. Uh, and th- these are stats uh, from Richard Silva, friend of the program. A couple of tweets from him. I'm going to read them here. 
Have to take into account that it was a blowout, but Auburn had nine defensive linemen and five linebackers play 10 or more snaps yesterday. Uh, Marcus Harris at 25 and Larry Nixon at 22 led respectively. For reference, in last year's opener, Colby Wooden had 39 snaps and Cam Riley had 51. Uh, DJ James led Auburn in defensive snaps overall with 35. In week one against Mercer last year, Auburn had 10 players have more than 35 snaps. We'll see how the snapshot changes when the games aren't blowouts, but we saw a lot of rotation as expected. We saw it before the game was a complete blowout, and they were really bringing in a lot of second and third and fourth string guys uh, into the game. But did really, really like that rotation from Auburn. And, and Painter, we've talked about this plenty. It's like there are a lot of things. You talk about Hugh Freeze and the staff hitting a lot of the right notes, hitting, uh, you know, hitting the right buttons ahead of the season. In season already – just the fact that Auburn's rotating guys as much is just like that's such a great button to press when Auburn fans just watch two years of watching their defensive players, their stars, you know, get their legs ground into dust by uh, the amount of uh, snaps they were getting. It's a bit of a stretch the direction I'm going to go, uh, but yes, your point is well taken about the rotation, keeping players fresh. Um, you know, Auburn was not the only apparent benefactor of not having Brian Harson around. It seems that TJ Finley, at least for the time being, is looking Woo! a little bit better. So, you know, I don't know. that Those two things don't necessarily have anything to do with one another, but I thought I would just what if Ron, toss what, it out. I wonder if Ron Roberts is, is, you know, Ron Roberts got let go at Baylor. Mm-hmm. Um, I bet he's I bet he's feeling feeling a little bit better about his, his, uh, his direction today. But uh, hey, schedule the Sun Belt at your own risk on opening day, my friend, because those teams will come in and they will uh, they'll, they'll they'll give you a game. I mean, UCLA was challenged into the evening by Coastal Carolina last mm-hmm. night. And and yeah, like you said, Texas, uh, Texas State going to uh, go to Waco and, uh, and, and and getting that win real quick. Just to Kenny's derail us debut as a head coach. Go ahead. Uh, the Chip Kelly's comments on the game speed, uh, the little dig he got on the commercials. Are we? Do we have an opinion on the matter? Okay, so this Auburn game should have gone by a lot faster than it did. It felt like when we were in the press box, the the, the TV timeouts are insane. They're they're so bad. Like for for a game that was well in hand. Um, look, I I don't want to I don't want to go too doom and gloom here, but here's the thing: TV companies, the TV networks have essentially taken over college football and bent it to their will. We look at all these just really stupid um, conference realignment things that have happened. Uh, Auburn's going to be playing an ACC team next week in Cal. That makes sense. Uh, it's all because of TV, and this sport is going to continue to get warped and warped into something um, that doesn't really resemble what it used to be and what people grew up with and what people enjoy. There have been some positive developments in college sports you know, over the last decade or so, but there've been a lot of not great ones. And, uh, this is just a kind of a small example of it where it's just like, yeah, they changed the rule book and they didn't actually make the game shorter, um, in terms of time, uh, because, uh, TV is still going to get their, get their, uh, advertising dollars. And Chip Kelly was right to point that out last night. And I mean, it's, it's double edged because the the ability to sell those commercials gives TV networks the power to uh, to make these deals with conferences that inject dozens, you know, tens of millions of dollars a year into athletic departments like UCLA, which then 
pay the salary of people like Chip Kelly. So I, I understand the frustration. I understand, you know, it's also it, it, at the moment, it's become the engine driving college athletics. I mean, it, mm-hmm. the, the, the maybe the biggest single source of revenue for some of these programs is the, uh, the the television money that they get from the conference every year. And that money would go away if uh, if we no, I mean, not. You know, it's sort of down the line, slippery slope thinking to say it would go away. But I can understand why the TV networks want to get, you know, want to get a return on their investment. I wish there was a middle ground because I also thought that, uh, you know, I don't I understand the the criticism people have of of network television, NFL games and the way commercials are are worked in. And I, I would rather not see college football become something like that. And I thought that the. You know, folk, folks talking about the rules as though they were th- this breath of fresh air for college football this past weekend, which I heard a couple announced teams talking about the new rules like it's this great new thing. It's like, I mean, it's great if you were worried about how your employer was going to generate revenue. I was about to say you they know, get to they get to do less work and and their network makes more money out of it. I I can see how they they are promoting that. Between that and ESPN being like, what is happening with this crazy college realignment? Wow, this game has sure changed. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah y'all y'all did that. That's y'all. And and the fact that there are millions of people who were able to watch ESPN oh, on gosh. the middle middle of the middle of the day Thursday that still can't dude there's uh, there seems to be one of those every year at this time it seems it just like spin the wheel and it's like what provider is going to be the the one to get it all right back back to Auburn back to this defense um run defense is going to have to get better uh, there were still some big runs, you know, in the second half and or past the first quarter that that needed to be tightened up. Thought Auburn's tackling was rough early on, had some missed tackles and and some and some you know look like misfits that have got to get cleaned up. Isn't that kind of a, a normal theme though? Like I think Auburn's run defense, as we are all aware, will be a work in progress and may just have limitations even as the season sure. goes on. But haven't we talked about this in previous seasons that part of the sloppiness of these early season games is not just about the offenses trying to figure things out, but defenses like almost remembering how to soundly tackle given that they do a lot less tackling in preseason anymore. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a really, really good point. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that's part of it for sure. Uh, and every defensive player we talked to after the game said, you know, we could have done a lot better. We want to, we want to, um, we want to, we want to improve uh, and tighten things up on film. And I think Auburn at the line of scrimmage, there's just, not as many like household names up there that we've been used to seeing in the past. Not as much established depth. They're gonna have to kind of get that going. The good news, I thought for Auburn, um, I thought their pass defense, both in terms of the coverage and in the uh, pass rush, was really really productive. Guys, this stat, this stat right here that I just dug up was was pretty crazy. According to Pro Football Focus, Donovan Kaufman blitzed five times on Saturday. He pressured the quarterback on four of them, including a strip sack uh, that uh, that Jalen Simpson landed on. Also, Jalen Simpson, really good play, read the route and jumped it uh, very well. He said after the game that uh, he know he knew from film uh, that then when they didn't motion pre snap motion, it was going to be a pass, and he knew it was going to Simpson, and he just kind of felt out the route, jumped it, house call, fifty yard pick six for him. Great game for them. I thought the pass rush got home, especially in the second half, a lot more frequently. Um, they're going to blitz. 
they're going to use guys in a variety of ways um, uh, to get involved. I think your top pressure guys on Saturday were Donovan Kaufman and Keontae Scott, if that tells you anything. Cam Riley and Eugene Asante also had double-digit uh, – uh, or sorry, multiple pressure – not double-digit, multiple pra- uh, pressures. Uh, Terrence Love, Kay and Lee, there's a lot – Larry Nixon. Rod Roberts is going to blitz. He's going to blitz. And I think that's uh, – that kind of gives twofold, Dan. One – it helps a pass rush that doesn't have right now a true star edge rusher. Uh, Jalen McLeod did not play in this game. I think you could have seen him get really, really involved and and make make a make an impact if he was able to play yesterday. But number two, if you have a really good secondary and a veteran secondary that you trust, you will be more willing to put them in one on one situations. You know, if you know that they okay. We can trust those guys to get dudes one on one and leave them on an island, so to speak, because you know we know we can generate some more pass rush with some other guys. And I think you saw some of that on Saturday. Uh, the Ron Roberts defense did what it said it's going to do on the package. It created havoc in the back end. Yeah, I, I was uh, I was encouraged by McAllister and Sings. I thought they both looked like guys who uh, could be. Uh, could, could be consistent contributors this year. You know, they, they were on and they were on the field uh, together quite a bit, which is something they talked about in the offseason. You know, we didn't really know how often Ron Roberts utilizes more than one jack on the field at the same time. But there were multiple plays uh, in the game on Saturday where McAllister and Steven Sings were both on the field at the same time. So, yeah, I think there's uh, and, and you, those were usually Auburn had forced and, and Auburn did a good job on Saturday of forcing UMass into undesirable second downs and undesirable third downs. There were times when penalties uh, stretched out those those second and third down situations, and that makes it easier as a defense, right? When you know it's third and down, we know it's third and long. It's it's you know the thinking now in the NFL. It's, it it hasn't quite gotten down to college football, but the thinking now that it's it's so tough to convert third and longs, right? That if you if you I mean you you have to do everything you can on second down to avoid the possibility that you're in on third down. And I think we will get there uh, in the highest level of college football where it's it's just so it can, to consistently convert third and longs is you know it's it's like consistently you know rolling a 6, right? With mm-hmm. a with, with with a dice or something like you you can you you can you can feel good about your your chances of maybe doing it once or twice, but living that way is going to be tough. So, yeah, Auburn's going to have to win first and second down and force teams into uh, into difficult to convert third down situations and hope that some of those edge rushers like a McAllister like a uh, like a McLeod when, when he's when he's available like Steven Sings the fifth uh, those guys can uh, he uh, got can make like he got involved too on Saturday yeah. had, a, had yeah, that, Sings, they could play 20 snaps Sings had a play I think it was the I think it was the Justin Rogers or maybe it was the McAllister sack where Sings got in the backfield and got a hand on the ball, mm-hmm. and the quarterback had to the, the quarterback had to focus on regathering the ball, and that set him up to get sacked by somebody else in the. Uh, and uh, you know, did you notice that Auburn going for the ball on the yes. sack motions a lot? Like there was a couple were, times where Keontae went up trying to trying to bat it like on a on a rush. Uh, I noticed that you know that's yeah getting the ball has been big. You know forcing fumbles this is a team it's a defense that didn't have very many takeaways at all last year they get two in game one they don't turn it over on the other end like that's i get it, 
when you have a team that you know is projected to win six, seven, maybe eight games this season, you know, and you're not expected to be a championship contender, you're going to want to do a lot of these things where you can steal possessions and get the hidden yardage. Um, and so this defense being more attacking and, and doing that, it, it's going to be their their benefit. Dan, I, I love the point you made about third downs. I want to bring this up. Auburn 6-10 on third downs on offense, 4-6 of six on third and shorts. They were only in third and long once. They missed it. On the flip side, UMass 1-9 of nine on third downs. They were in third and long four times, did not convert a single one of them. Third and short was the only one they got all game. Um, their average distance to go on Saturday on third down was eight yards, and it's just – especially when you're an overmatched opponent, it's impossible. But, again, that goes back to improving your run defense on early downs. You want to be able to get – that team into those th- second and long, third and long, third and medium situations because it really helps out a team that looks like they're going to be more creative in rushing the passer this season. And additionally, uh, they feel like they can rely on their secondary to make some plays. Uh, UMass's passing attack was not the greatest thing in the world. We all knew that coming in. Um, Anthony Simpson can make some plays. You, you, he, again, like we said, that's t- they were dudes that were going to get cha- challenging in space, and he broke loose on one of them. But no Nehemiah Pritchett, no J.D. Rim, uh, missing some of those guys back there in the secondary, and still uh, Auburn's pass defense. Uh, if you take out that big touchdown late against a bunch of reserves, um, 4.48 yards per attempt for UMass on Saturday, which is which is a pretty good line to have. A lot of disruption. Uh, uh, the, uh, the starter for UMass uh, only went 8 of 16 through the air for 55 yards. That's what you wanted. It's a disruptive passing game. Um, again, it's just I think it goes back to this game, especially the first half, kind of felt like what we expected. Run game's going to be a work in pro- – run defense is going to be a work in progress. Uh, run offense looks pretty good. Pass game's going to be a work in progress. Pass defense looks pretty good. That all kind of bore itself out. But for Auburn to play a UMass team that was – tricky on paper where you know to make it closer they were going to try to force you into turnovers and mistakes like that um you know i don't know how many real big mistakes auburn had on offense but it didn't seem like very many and that's again that's how you win a game by 45 and you know even though you gave up 300 yards even though you didn't get 500 yards you still just blow this team out because there was a lot of you know hidden yardage in this game where it was the um, the punt return from Keontae Scott, which was pretty big. The uh, the fumble recovery from Jalen Simpson that set Auburn up in great field position. Um, some other special team stuff that kind of went went awry. Good field position generated by um, Brian Batie. That all that adds up, and I think if you can make it a habit of doing that in these games where you're a big favorite, it could help you out later in the year when you're playing teams that are better than you. Which Auburn's going to play a stretch of them here in a few weeks. Justin, what's something you learned from the post game? You, you heard Hugh Freeze. You, you talked to a couple of players. Was there anything that stood out to you uh, after the game? Uh, get, getting reactions from uh, from the participants. I think the thing I probably learned the most about after the game was just kind of some of the explanations of why the defense struggled early and why they were able to kind of fire back. Everybody kind of said they felt like you know made mistakes, made those adjustments, but Hearing Hugh Freeze say he thought the defense played with more passion and more energy after that first drive than they did not only on the first drive, but in the scrimmages and in practices earlier. When you see that, 
again, the word of the year, juice. When you hear when you when you see that actually come out onto the field, and for Auburn to play with that kind of motivation, play with that hype, it's only going to take you so far. You got to play fundamentally sound football, especially when you start playing Cal and and these SEC teams coming up. Uh, but for Auburn, I thought it was really interesting to hear pretty much all the players and Freeze say like, "Yeah, we just played. Well, you know, we just played harder. We got, you know, that." That first drive from UMass was kind of a wake-up call, and uh, they were able to execute better and, and play with more like. And I, I thought it was true. I thought the defense kind of going through the motions early, but when they started getting disruptive, it was it was uh, you could you could tell that they were really feeding off the defense. Fellas, anything else we want to add about uh, about the game on Saturday? I think we're I think we kind of hit everything here uh, that I can think of. Uh, good job with our with our picks to click, Painter. Uh, your, your pick to click was, uh, was the guy, uh, uh, Alex McPherson. And I would say good fantasy day. Uh, if you had Alex McPherson on your lineup. Yeah. Yeah. Big fantasy day. If you had Robbie Ashford or Alex McPherson, he drills his, all of his field goals. Um, the weird think they were going for an onside kick at the start of the second half, like something a little surprised to put something on film didn't work out. But then obviously Jalen Simpson gets the pick six and it doesn't matter after that. But a pretty clean day from him, and uh, I, think, I think Oscar Chapman punted. Let's see, Oscar Chapman punted twice. One of them was a good forty-seven yard punt. The other one took a nasty bounce that kicked back a, a, a long way that really hurt his average. But you know, good days for those guys. C- clean day for the special teams. You liked it, but I think we did pretty well. Dan, you got Jay Fair first career touchdown catch for him, top receiver on the team, uh, and targets and catches. Damari getting off to a pretty good start on Saturday. Didn't have the huge run that Jeremiah and Sean did, but uh, doing well. And then Alex McPherson. So good job, everyone. I did not uh, see the entire – like I, I watched the end of the um, the attempted onside kick, I guess is what we'll we'll call it. And so I was very confused about same. what was, I was happening. I was looking down at something, and then I looked up like, – because I just thought, oh, they're just going to boot it downfield. And, uh, yeah, so much for me not, not paying close attention to that one. Uh, but yeah, good win for Auburn, fifty nine fourteen. They covered the spread um, by a lot, uh, and uh, and covered even the early spread of this game. Pretty impressive uh, week one win. That again, like not a ton of style points, a lot of room to grow, a lot of time to develop. Um, this team's going to be a work in progress. They're going to be patient. This is a bridge. This is a bridge building year uh, for for Auburn, um, and. You know, to, to come out and take care of business uh, like this in, in a pretty impressive way and knowing that you could learn a lot from it, I think, is is exactly what Hugh Freeze and the staff wanted wanted to do. All right, before we go, let's talk about it, fellas. Week one of college football. Look, I talked about it all off season, and uh, I've, I've got it. I mean, I don't know if there's ever been a game where there has been more crow to be eaten across the country. Deion Sanders... Coach Prime, sorry, bro. <laughs> I was dead wrong about Colorado. I think TCU might be in trouble. I think TCU might be might be, and they lost a lot from that team that went to the national title game last there year. There is but, a chance Colorado deserves its flowers. There's also a oh, chance that TCU is just you know, in like a month, we might be like, oh, okay, well, that does make sense then. So, so here's the thing about Colorado that st- stands out to me. It's not surprising to me that Travis Hunter, former number one overall prospect in the country, uh, was awesome in this game. Uh, and I, I 
him playing two ways, I want to see how far that goes because it's it's going to be impressive to see see, see if he can His snap carry that count workload. Was hilarious, just ridiculous. Uh, and then yeah, uh, Sh- Shadur Sanders. Uh, you know, I, I'm not surprised that uh, the son of one of the greatest athletes to ever live uh, is uh, is really good at playing football, and he torched. TCU's defense uh, set. Not surprised at either of those things. A lot more surprised at the supporting cast at, at, at Colorado and making the plays. Like, they held up at the line of scrimmage a decent bit. They made some big stops and some big plays on defense. Look, I I think TCU might be in trouble this year. Don't want to overreact too much to week one, but we were on, man. I thought this, I thought this Colorado team was going to get just thumped consistently this year and they might still they'll have some games where they'll lose probably and lose badly because of because of the way the roster is but man what a way to start and uh you know fox and uh and a lot of people in college football got exactly what they wanted from from the prime debut yeah i think there are people who don't want the Deion sanders method to succeed because if it becomes trendy in college football it could represent a pretty significant shift from the way things are done now. If, if a guy who hasn't been a coach for very long, who is uh, trading on celebrity slash notoriety that he earned as a player and as a media personality rather than as a coach, and if he can use that to successfully lure recruits to a place uh, immediately, like that, that upends the way things are done at the biggest programs in college football. And I could see why folks are skeptical that someone can do it successfully and nervous about what it could mean for the sport if Deion Sanders is successful in turning around Colorado quickly uh, via the transfer portal and, and some of his unconventional methods. Now, yeah, I, I'm. I want to see what it looks like uh, against the Pac-12, but I can't take anything away from Colorado uh, beating a team that went to the national championship game last year in their opener as a multiple touchdown underdog. Like it's a what what a, what a debut for Deion Sanders in Colorado. Question for the class um, because this was a topic that I brought up in the press box yesterday after the Colorado win. Is Deion Sanders? the most famous non-quarterback ever to play football. And I'm talking about in terms of recognition, like brand recognition, name recognition, popularity, whatever metric you want to use, Q rating, Dan. Uh, like it, I, I'm having a hard time thinking of somebody other than Dion, at least they, who, they, who did not play the quarterback position. It's it, no, that's, that's an interesting point. I mean – the most the most famous non quarterbacks, you know, of, of uh, you know, of football players these days. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking, I mean, Ray Lewis, Randy Moss, Barry Sanders, Bo, ja- Bo Jackson, to an extent, yeah. I guess, yeah, would yeah, be yeah. In, in, in that category. You know, yeah, Barry. I think Sanders. Dion just so constantly staying in the public eye. You know, even after his, the end of his playing days, like it, it puts him, it puts him up there for sure no i i would say there's there's probably something especially if you're talking about like celebrity earned as a as a football player yeah sure yeah. like yeah i i would think um yeah i would think that that dion is is a uh is 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 probably the correct answer yeah maybe at a different point in time you could have pointed to someone like bo jackson but the staying power he's had dion's had both as a public figure someone who's on tv a brand now a coach i Maybe somebody in the comments will, will point someone out that we're forgetting, but 
Dan and I just looked at each Dan and I just looked at each other. I think we both just came to the same answer, but we're I don't think we're gonna say it say it on the on the podcast. I don't think we need to. Yours I don't truly. Think we need to go to that one. Yeah, that one's that one's gonna. Yeah, that one's gonna. That that one's probably the contender there. Um. So yeah, huge win for Colorado. Uh, I'm interested to see. By the way, uh, the goal, uh, the 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 other man with the golden voice, the silver fox himself, Jeff Shear, Colorado guy. Uh, ask asked him in the press box yesterday what he thought about about Dion, and he was just like, "Man, I'm just excited that people are excited about Colorado football again." And like, mission accomplished. I want to see how far this thing goes, but really, really impressive stuff there in week one. Other games that come to mind, we we mentioned Texas State knocking off Baylor. Um, big big moment for uh, big big moment for uh, uh, TJ Finley. I'm sure GJ Kenny, former Gus Malzahn guy. Uh, getting his shot. He was a head coach for just a year at Incarnate Word. Now the head coach at Texas State. Texas State, I don't know if y'all know how bad Texas State's been the last few years, uh, but they decimated their roster, uh, and uh, he's had to pick up the pieces. They get a big win in week one over over Baylor. That was that was one that I – and then I just I mentioned at the earlier in the show, Wyoming beating Texas Tech. That the Wyoman quarterback sitting in there and taking that taking that free runner uh, right through the A gap. I thought he was done for. I thought he was done for. That and, game and uh, I guess the Illinois game were probably like uh, like maybe two of the best games of the weekend. And I believe I believe Texas Tech has to dust themselves off and play Oregon on Saturday, which is not the team you want coming to town right after uh, right after losing Dan, to Wyoming. Dan, how many how many points did Oregon score yesterday? Uh, I believe did they finish with 84? 81. 81 I think. 81. I, I saw the infographic that you know how the you know how the mascot does the push-ups uh, after every score. Poor My, I, I believe I believe the mascot did somewhere in the neighborhood of 540 push-ups yesterday because Oregon kept scoring. Like I, it's it's some crazy number like that. But yeah, Bo Nix and company. Uh, had it had it going in overdrive. For the sake of the duck, I hope there are like multiple friends of the duck. Um, yeah, they, they just kept swapping them in. Arms and chest are just or, or he's feeling bad today. Bo, by the way, twenty three of twenty seven for two hundred eighty seven yards and three touchdowns, no interceptions, just calm first half of work uh, for him against Portland State. Uh, hey, Justin, is is it true that the uh, is it true that Disney gets some money because the duck looks too much like Donald? There's or something there's a, about the logo thing with yeah, them. Yeah, I, th- I think there's I think there's something Donald adjacent. With that, uh, with with the affirmation, it was a, it was a uh, re- duck. I don't want to talk out of out of class, but like, uh, I I think it was a big reason why it took home field a long time to get to get Oregon stuff because it's just a lot of their a lot of their stuff is licensed, super licensed through either Nike or uh, they've got some Disney uh, connections as well. There's a there's an old Oregon logo that is basically Donald Duck. Uh, there's also a, a one where uh, Donald Duck has an afro uh, and is running track uh, back in the 70s. That's that's a that's a great logo if you've never seen it. A story from 2014 at the New York Times says the university was in luck because Oregon's athletic director at the time, Leo Harris, was a friend of Walt Disney's. Disney told Harris that the university was welcome to use Donald Duck, who debuted in 1934 as the mascot, provided it was in good taste. I think it was in good taste. Uh, any other games pop out to you, gentlemen? Uh, I, I thought North Carolina over South Carolina was the easiest pick of the of the weekend for me, I, and and I say that because 
I just thought South Carolina was getting a lot, well, way too much hype for what they are in North Carolina. If they can just play a little defense, they uh, they've got too many weapons, and uh, they they took care of business Saturday. Dan, any other games catch your eye? I mean the or uh, the uh, the South Carolina game. I was I was with you guys. That was that's one where. I was curious to see what Shane Beamer and uh, and and the team look like, but it might might be another year. Uh, you know, they, they've got a they've got a very difficult schedule, and I was hearing the enthusiasm for a a, a big year in Columbia, and I mean, it could happen. But I mean, North Carolina and Clemson at a conference, and then an SEC East schedule as well. Like they got some challenging games. They got uh, they got a trip to Athens in a week and a half now that they got to they got to figure out so yeah it's going to be uh i think that's going to be a battle and and maybe maybe south carolina can come out on the other side of it but uh they they could take their lumps you know and 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 to switch it back to auburn here real quickly uh, to win a game like this the way you did i think is pretty impressive because not everybody did that now not every one of these games that i'm about to mention here are um you know the the opponents aren't quite umass level in terms of like uh how rough their roster might be at the moment uh but you know some some ones that just come to mind from yesterday that uh that that stand out is like okay this was a game where you had power conference team play a non-power conference team and it was a lot closer than it should have been uh, we mentioned Wyoming losing to Texas Tech or beating Texas Tech. Sorry, in double overtime. Painter, you mentioned that Illinois uh, game. Uh, Illinois uh, w- beating Toledo, thirty to twenty-eight. Shout out Caleb Griffin. Texas State, forty-two. Baylor, thirty-one. Mentioned that uh, a Northern Illinois beating Boston College by three uh, oh. was a tough one. Fresno State beating Purdue by four uh, in that one. Iowa only beat Utah State by ten, uh, and uh, uh, the, nepo- the the greatest nepotism case in college football uh, is starting to play one from one back uh, this year. Uh, if you know, you know. And then there's some other ones that just kind of caught my eye, like why was this game as close as it was? Uh, Oklahoma State only beat uh, Central Arkansas 27-13 yesterday. I thought that was thought that was pretty peculiar. Um, from there's a from couple of couple of odd scores in the Big Twelve. You know, you look at the new members. What Houston. Houston beat UTSA by a field goal. Like that game was close in the fourth th- quarter. I think UTSA was favored in that one or close. Oh, at, um, uh, at BYU, Sam Houston, right? Like BYU was BYU was struggling to put away. It was seven nothing uh, for most of that game. Yeah, like that, that game was was seven nothing late. New FBS, know, so, so new FBS team, Sam Houston. By the way, um, gotta get gotta get used to saying that. Uh, and then the, yeah, and then there were some games yesterday. Obviously, we're like. Teams that were expected to be really good were really impressive. Um, I thought, man, Penn State just shoving West Virginia in a locker with a new quarterback. That Penn State team's going to be really good. I think there's a lot of attention on Michigan and Ohio State, as always, in the Big Ten. Uh, Penn State, man, they've got their act together. Um, and that was a really good football team that that uh, that beat Auburn last year pretty soundly. And uh, I, I think they've gotten even better. And uh, I think this – I think Drew Aller has the potential to be a, a pretty special quarterback there. Former Auburn uh, quarterback Zach Calzada is starting at Incarnate Word. Uh, they were battling with uh, uh, who was that? UTEP, I think. I think that uh, game got it. Did anyone? Did anyone lose to an FCS school? Do we have a? Do, do we have an FCS win over a, a bowl sub? I know Maine was 
Maine was close with FIU, but FIU ended up winning that game. I'm not sure an FCS team uh, actually actually got the win Rody, over a Bulls Rody subdivision team. Rody almost beat Georgia State on Thursday night. Um, yeah, I don't. I'm not seeing one that that kind of comes to mind. Uh, yeah, I think. Did I, you mention? Did you mention Fresno beating Purdue? Yeah, Fresno beating Purdue. That's yeah. Wow, that was. I don't think I saw that one coming. Uh, University of Albany almost beat Marshall. That was twenty-one seventeen. Uh, but yeah, just close games, not not upsets that I can that I can tell. San Diego State uh, beat Idaho State by eight uh, as well. So a lot of close calls there. But fun week one of college football. It's not over yet. Uh, as we're recording this, Northwestern and Rutgers are going to kick off for some reason on a Sunday morning on CBS. Oregon State, San Jose State, uh, and then the the big one tonight, LSU, Florida State, and then I believe there's a Monday night game that's Clemson Duke. Uh, on Labor Day night uh, as well. So, fun week one of college football. Glad you joined us. Uh, glad glad you're spending some time with us here. So, that's it for the pod today. Auburn winning by 45. We'll be back on Thursday to preview a spicier-looking Auburn and Cal game. That was a really good win from Cal on the road uh, on, uh, on Saturday. So, should be a fun one. Uh I'm heading to Berkeley. Dan, are you ended up going to Berkeley? I I am not going to Berkeley. I'm in fact, Justin. I may, I may take up an invitation to go to Alabama, Texas, in Tuscaloosa on Saturday, which is uh, which is also going on. That's the the game on ESPN before, right before yeah. Auburn and Cal is uh, Texas making a visit to Tuscaloosa next weekend. I think that could be a happening for Auburn folks who aren't oh, yeah. going to Cal. Like I think a lot of. Auburn students and young people may go to Tuscaloosa uh, for that weekend. Texas uh, is going to travel. Uh, like uh, I think they'll they'll be there in force in Tuscaloosa as well. The Texas fans. So yeah, I think that could be a uh, that, that that could be a sight to see next weekend. Some fun matchups next week for sure in the lead up to to that Auburn Cal game. Uh, for those of you who will be watching on the television screens and not going uh, to, as I said, up Tobacco Road to to that old ACC institution. Cal Berkeley. Assum- assuming, of course, you have ESPN access. Yes, that's, that's, that's a, uh, speaking of which, uh, Justin Lee sent me this earlier today. Apparently, Idaho State, uh, when they were making that run last night against San Diego State, like late, their uh, Twitter account was clipping the game, like putting out videos. Their clips were coming from an illegal streaming site, <laughs> which is incredible. I love that. Um, they're torrenting their own game that's, and then that's awesome uh yeah so this week uh film room on mon on monday we'll have uh newsletters tuesday throughout the week um well, our, our preview podcast on thursday 13 for 13 the next edition will be on thursday as well mailbag on friday always send in questions uh the earlier the better there and then uh, i'll be i'm actually heading to berkeley on thursday night uh so the next time We'll talk on the free pod. I will probably be in California somewhere. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the trip. Looking forward to the game. Should be a really, really fun game. Really intriguing non-con game for Auburn and uh, and Cal. Looking forward to it. How does um, – I should know this question as a representative of the Auburn Sports Network uh, flagship station. Uh, how does Tiger Talk work when it's like a cross-country – Studio. They do it yeah, on studio. Doing, I believe it's studio on Thursday. 
Yeah. Could be pre-taped maybe because it's like I mean I, I, maybe they'll do it live because I, I think Andy Burcham's I think Andy Burcham's making the trip with the team Thursday. Yeah. To like I like I wonder if if they maybe they travel earlier the that day. That'd be cool. Yeah, or find some place in Berkeley and do it. You know, and and then Justin Ferguson could pop in. Yep. Uh, that's it for me. Thank you guys so much for listening and subscribing and reading. It was a fun week one. We're looking forward to the rest of the season. Painter, final thoughts. Are we in or out on Juice uh, getting the tee off the uh, kickoff and bringing it back to the sideline? The Boise State dog? Uh, I think uh, I think that's Lane Kiffin's dog. Oh, Lane Kiffin's dog. So Boise State's done this for years. They have a tee dog. I, I actually have a home field shirt with the tee dog from Boise State on it. Uh, so... Okay. All right. I I think I think it's a popular move. It's an easy move. I think I think he should make his kid do it. <laughs> I think you send your send your kid out there to go get the. You want to be such a family man. Hey, hey, can, can we say this uh, before we go? Um, one of the things that stood out to me the most from the pregame and the atmosphere on Saturday. Really good atmosphere. Great, great coordination from everybody to wear white. Um, that was like one of the better uh, coordinated games I saw, especially in the student section. Um, I think some of the changes that Auburn brought to the game day thing, uh, you could tell there's some more marketing and some more money and brain power involved with this new administration behind some of that. Um, but I want to talk about the fact that right before the Eagle flight, they played Freebird. And it's like, <laughs> why haven't they always done that? Why why ha, why hasn't that always been a thing? And so uh I think I think the only way we can close this episode is if we play Freebird uh right now painter. We we were arguing we were arguing about what your closer theme would be on a previous uh, on a previous it's no there's no question. The entrance music for the Eagle should be the Freebird guitar solo, right? Like <laughs> and it was, yeah. <laughs> and it was. Let's hit it. <laughs>